of uh, Mark. I had to think about that a minute. Well, you can turn in there anywhere you want to, and, and I'll just preach it. I, I've had a few times in the ministry when, uh, like the old preacher said one time in a chapel service, he said, men, be ready to preach at the drop of a hat, and you drop the hat. There's been a time or two that I had to just grab my Bible, jump up and just open it up and start and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me something to say. I tell people all the time, don't brag on me. I can't take no credit. God already wrote it down. (laughs) And it's true. Uh, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be looking this morning. Uh, I, I wanted to say something. Uh, I made a remark a while ago about the giant TV screen in our fellowship hall. And our fellowship hall will hold as many people as there are here in the sanctuary. And when we first did that, we did that because of COVID to give people the opportunity to be here and participate to the best of their ability and to be safe to the best of their ability. We have a balcony and um, thank God for that. If we were still in our old building, they wouldn't have been no social distancing practice there. <laughs> because every Sunday for many years, we would cram in and fill the parking lot full of cars. There were people, I mean, this is awful, but people would come by to stop at church and they would keep on driving because there wasn't no place to park. But anyway, God was so good to us. Little church in Estill County. Our county's a poor county. And he allowed us, I don't know whether you ever think about how blessed we are. He allowed us to purchase 10 acres and build a building that cost over a million dollars. And it's paid for. Praise the Lord. Four years after we was in it, it was paid for. They told us at the bank that we could have that good uh, loan uh, interest rate for five years. But after five years, they said, we just got to jack it up. So we decided we'll just have it paid for in five years. And the Lord has been so good to us. But what I started to say, the first time we put that big screen TV, Greg and uh, Brenton and Josh and all jumped in there and figured out a way to to put this worship service, the same thing you would see on Facebook or YouTube or on the internet uh, is going on down there right now. You know, the folks that are down there are watching the broadcast. The first time we did that, the thought come to my mind, we probably won't continue to do it this way because we don't want our people separated. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. That's an interesting word. Together, we don't like nothing that has us separated. So, But the first thought that came to my mind, I'm glad we've got that set up down there because one day we may need that for overflow. And when I said that a while ago, I seen people looking at me funny. I, you know, there's a lot of people like myself have been praying earnestly for revival in America. A great awakening. And as time goes by, 
I feel like that we're getting closer and closer and closer. And I realize that some terrible things may have to happen for it to come about. But let me tell you all something. There's a verse of Scripture in the book of Revelation that says, talks about the prayers of the saints. You know, as you prayed, God, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you've not seen it, you hang on. You will see it. It'll happen. And I believe there are people all over America praying about these jokers who are demon-possessed that would like to destroy this nation. The devil would like to destroy America. Amen? The devil would love to. And I believe with all my heart, he's got some tools that he's trying his best to make that happen. But I believe there will be a great awakening in America. I really do. Before the Lord comes back, I really believe, and I want you all to believe it too, that we're going to need overflow space. <laughs> now we've got enough room to park them. And there may come a time when people will flock here. You say, preacher, you're getting old. Can you stand that? Man, I'm telling you what, I've said it over and over. I despise preaching to empty pews. And you, if they keep filling up, it'll be like saying, sick them to the preacher. <laughs> like saying sick them. We used to have a dog. His name was Boo when I was young. So we decided we'd teach that dog what sick them meant. It's a wonder he hadn't got killed because he, whatever we pointed to, that's exactly what he'd attack. We had more fun as little boys Sicking boo on stuff. <laughs> oh, I never will forget Judy. One time Philip was at our house and he picked up Ricky, who was a little bitty thing, picked him up. He didn't know that somebody whispered sick him. <laughs> that dog got him. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. But anyway, uh, in this text, chapter 10 of the book of Mark. Now let me, let me tell you what I'm thinking about. This week, I happened to find the term, one thing. Now that struck me. One thing. So I decided to look that up. And I found 16 times is in our Bible. One thing. One thing. Let me give you some examples. I, I wrote this down in case the Lord leads me to preach on these. You know how I am. Are you glad that we're done with the four-month sermon series on one verse in Titus? Well, I hope you don't forget what, that's taught, what that taught us. But one thing. There could be a title, Singular Focus, and here's what the Bible says. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Hmm. There could be a title, Blessed Assurance. One thing I know. There could be one, uh, the most important, one thing needful. There could be one on Christian commitment. This one thing I do. God's faithfulness, not one thing hath failed. And then serious warning, be not ignorant 
of this one thing. Wouldn't it be neat? You might, you, we might just do all them. I don't know for sure. We'll have to see. But this morning, the title is One Thing, A Graphic Illustration. A Graphic Illustration. I begin reading in the 17th verse of that 10th chapter. This is a passage everybody's familiar with. But maybe we'll see one thing that we've never seen before. And the Bible says in verse 17, as the Lord blesses His Word, And when He was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to Him and asked Him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beheld, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, and here's the statement, one thing thou lackest. Boy, I tell you what, the first thought I had when I read that, I thought, that's not bad. Because I know how short I fall of what God expects of me. I know why that I am always saying, Lord, be merciful to me. Lord, help me. Help me not to do this or say this or think this or whatever. Forgive me. All of my shortcomings in my life, I know about. And I thank God I do. Because if I didn't, I would be lifted up and puffed up in my pride and thinking I was the grandest thing that ever walked the face of the earth. Thank you, God, you point out my failures and my faults and my shortcomings. The first thought I had was, that's not bad. Just one thing you lack. Just one thing. But I want to tell you all something this morning. This one thing was fixing to send him to hell if it wasn't corrected. That's how serious it was for him. And I'll show you before we get done what that one thing is. And Jesus said, Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come, take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Have you ever looked up in the Bible, in the New Testament, I have, how many times from the very mouth of our Lord came these words, you cannot be my disciple. The world is full of people who think they are. And I'm not saying that in judgment. I have nobody in mind. I just know what the Bible said. I know what Jesus said one day when He said, Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. And I'll have to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. I think a lot... I mentioned this Wednesday night. There's a couple of things that have bothered me for many years. Easy believism, evangelism. Easy believism, evangelism. 
In other words, talking to somebody about their unsaved state and say, now you just repeat after me and you're saved and on your way to heaven. You just say these words or whatever. Uh, another title is decisional regeneration. Thinking that your decision saves you. That's not true. The decision will be there if the Lord ever gives you a new heart. Amen? If He saves you, you will say, I have decided to follow Jesus. And you have. I did. 57 years ago. I made a decision 57 years ago. I didn't know it at the time. (laughs) But let me tell you something. What I did in response to the Lord working in my heart was the response of the Lord working in my heart. It wasn't the reason I was saved, but it was the result of being saved that I was trotted up an aisle many years ago and took a preacher by the hand and said whatever. I can't remember what I said, but he knew exactly what I come for anyway. But anyhow, we, those things we do because we've been saved. Did you know dead men don't walk? Dead men don't do nothing. And the Bible says, you hath he quickened who were dead. You were dead in trespasses and in sin. Now that don't mean people can't do these things and everything, but this one thing he said, he said in this. Now I thought to myself, that's not too bad. But then after I thought about it, about two seconds I knew it was real bad. But anyway, that was the first thought. And the second thought was that this was going to send him to hell. How many are just like him could sit down and make a list and say, that verse of scripture that I quoted to you a while ago, they would say unto him, Jesus said in that day, have we not prophesied and cast out devils and done many wondrous works? It didn't matter. It made no difference what they done. They were not saved. They simply were not saved. In the 18th chapter of the book of Luke, And I make reference to this quite often. This was the Pharisees stood. The Bible says, uh, and Jesus in verse 9, He spake a parable unto certain which trusted themselves that they were righteous. Trusted themselves that they were righteous. And He says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. God, I thank Thee I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And even as this publican, I fast twice in a week. I give my tithes of all that I possess. He was listing the good things that he'd done. And preacher, do you know what happened to him? Yes, I do. If he didn't change, he died and went to hell. He really did. Because Jesus said, and the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven and smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humble himself shall be exalted. Being saved makes you humble. The most humbling thing that's ever happened to me is to think over and over and over that God saved an unworthy wretch like me. That's what we sing about. I mean, and it's a humbling thought. Now there's some good things about this man, and I, I thought it was interesting. I'll share some of them with you. First of all, he was sincere in his belief and inquiry about eternal life. This man wasn't wasn't joking. He was serious. 
when he said, said to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now he believed in eternity. He knew there would be an eternity. He wanted to go to heaven. Amen? That's what he wanted. He desired that. He wanted to be sure that he had eternal life. I, I wondered about this. I, I can only wonder. Why was he brought to question? You know, he, he was a, the most religious individual. He was very religious. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was, uh, the Bible says, come running, kneeling down. Uh, he was rich and young and a ruler. That means that he was part of the Sanhedrin. This man would have been one of the most religious people you ever met in your life. I mean, he was impressive. What he said, these, these commandments Jesus quoted to him, he said, these have I done since my youth. I, I've wondered about that. I mean, what a good moral person that, that he was. One, one thing I've wondered about, Jesus quotes to him the last uh, I think about six of the commandments, not the first, but the last. I don't know what's in that. I'm going to be thinking more about it as time goes on. Why he quoted the ones he quoted. Now, he knew what was in that young man's heart. He knew every, every thought that he thought. He knew everything about him. There must have been a reason he quoted them to bring him to a certain place in the conversation. But he was serious about his beliefs and serious about his inquiry. Where did he, why did he begin to doubt? As good a man as he was, why was he doubting whether or not he had eternal life? I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't know for sure, but I believe he had already been listening to Jesus teach. I want to tell you what the gospel would do. The gospel will make you question what your personal relationship with the Lord is. It'll make you question that. As a matter of fact, I just got through preaching for four months every Sunday morning about the fact that Jesus was purifying unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And I shared with you all of the marks. I don't know whether you thought, preacher made it up, or whether you thought it came right out of the Bible, but it's there. It is there. The marks of them are there. And that kind of thing would make people wonder, am I really saved? Why do I not have a zeal for good works? What's wrong with me? I don't know if it ever did. I know some don't pay much attention to that kind of thing. But anyway, it brought him to question his security. Another good thing about him here that he, he acknowledged his need in public. Publicly, you know, we believe in a public profession of faith. We believe, uh, you know, a lot of people think they're a secret uh, disciple and there may be reasons for being somewhat secretly about that. But there's, I want to tell you something. I, I, I was thinking about that this morning, publicly acknowledging their need of a Savior. I've had the privilege of preaching in a lot of meetings over the years. And I'll tell you what, one of the greatest blessings I've ever had is see someone come running up the aisle, weeping and crying and almost not be able to make it to the front. You ever see that? I've seen it. I've seen it. I know what happened when the Spirit of God gets a hold to someone and convicts them of their lost, wretched condition. But he acknowledged him publicly. He wouldn't like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler also. And Nicodemus sneaked in at night. He feared, he feared those who might know what he was coming for. This young man, the Bible says, he come eagerly, came running. 
came running. He came humbly. What did he do when he got there? He knelt down. He fell down on his knees in the presence of Jesus. He was humbled. And he came respectfully. He said, called him good master. So there was a lot of good things about him. You might say, well, preacher, surely he was heaven bound. No, he was not. I believe he did. I believe he's in heaven now. I have a reason for believing that. And I have a good reason. One of our men brought this to my attention years ago. He loved him. Now you say, but preacher, you know the Lord loves everybody the same. You need to read your Bible, my friend. You, you, might, you might show your ignorance if you go around saying that. He doesn't love everybody the same. And to be loved is to be saved. Because Jeremiah said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. How far back? Brother Aaron, how far back did the Lord love you? All the way. Yeah, all the way. You can't go no farther. <laughs> all the way back. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. Praise God for that wonderful truth. So I believe he did go to heaven. If I, I probably won't have time this morning, but I'll share some of the thoughts related to that. But then there were some negative things about him too. His uh, Christ's initial words to him raise this question in my mind. I don't know to what extent, but he was ignorant of Christ's true character. He was ignorant of it. That's why Jesus said what he said. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. I suspect he did not see Jesus as God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the eternal God. The eternal Son of God. He is God. Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus came, God came to this earth. Jesus is God. He's Almighty God. He's absolutely sovereign, the sovereign God. That's who Jesus is. You know, if, I, if you were uh, together, all of the religious people of the world together, including Christianity, gather them all together and say to them what I just now said about Jesus, I want to tell you something. I wonder how many would reject that. I know there are some... Uh, in so-called Christianity today that would reject that Jesus is God. They would reject that. They would ignore that. They wouldn't acknowledge that. This man, I don't know to what extent, but he was unaware and ignorant of the true character of, of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said that to him. Why you call me good? Only God is good. I made him stop and think. He, another negative thing about him, he expected eternal life as a reward. Alright, if you gather all the people of the uh, religious people of the world together this morning and you ask them what they believe, I want to tell you what, the majority in my experience in Christianity believe that. That eternal life is the result of a reward for a life well lived. You wouldn't believe the pe people that have told me, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I want, a, I want my good works to outweigh my bad one day so I'll go to heaven when I die. That's not the way it works. It doesn't work that way. 
You say, preacher, you sound like it doesn't make any difference to you whether people live a good life or not. Let me tell you something. You let the Lord Jesus Christ save your unworthy soul and you will live for Him. I believe in an awesome change that comes about when God saves someone. I believe that with all my heart. So he expected eternal life as a reward. Now that's the majority in the world today. I want to tell you what. Eternal life is a gift. You ever get a gift? Did you think I've got to pay that back? I've got to somehow earn for the rest of my life. Uh, my son Greg got me a nice case knife one year for Christmas. I, I remember that. I like case knives. and I like knives, period. If they'll get so sharp, they'll shave you. I won't carry a knife that won't shave you. Uh, Cecil was laughing at me one time because I cut myself often with my pocket knife because <laughs> it's so sharp. I won't carry one that won't get that sharp. And anyway, I'm not living my life to pay him back. It was a gift. And that's what salvation is, the gift of God. It is the gift of God. The Bible says that. Another negative thing, he was unable to count the cost of following Jesus. Well, he was able to count the cost after what Jesus said to him, but coming to Christ, he never expected any such thing as Jesus said to him about that. He was unwilling to sacrifice. And I, I really do challenge you, if you haven't done it lately, to get your concordance out and look up all the times that Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. If this is true or that is true, I'll read you a couple of them. Jesus said these words, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus also said these words, So likewise whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Now I've said this many times, that doesn't mean that we have to forsake everything. It means that if that keeps you from what you ought to be, following the Lord or whatever, then you do need to do what Jesus told this young man about. You need to do that. Because it stands in the way. It is an idol that is a master in your life. It controls everything you do. I've often said this, having a lot of wealth is not a sin. I can show you people in the Bible, probably one of the most wealthy men in the Old Testament. I could show you that. That he had stuff like you wouldn't believe. And the Bible says that God blessed him with it. But let me tell you something. Here's the secret. You own your wealth. You do not let your wealth own you. That's the secret. That's the secret. And I've known so many people over the years, who had become wealthy, and that wealth owned them. And they were some of the most miserable people I've ever known in my life. Because they, their wealth owned them, not they owned it. Now let me tell you something. Whatever I've got in this world, back several years ago, I think it might have been when I was pastor at Kidville over in Clark County. I believe this. That was about 35, 40 years ago. Somebody came to me one day and said, Preacher, do you have any kind of 
retirement or anything like that? And I said, no, I don't have anything. That's what I have my boys for, to take care of me after I get old. And <laughs> uh, that's why I've prayed for them to be successful, so they can take care, take care of me. And now I'm praying it for my grandchildren. I have five of them. They, I've told them, everyone, you're, you're going to grow up and take care of Pappy. When he gets so old he can't, and feeble, he can't take care of us. No, I'm just kidding about that. But it started, it didn't amount to much. And maybe by some standard, it don't amount to much today. Emmanuel contributes to that IRA. And I don't know if I'll ever use that or not or whatever. I just don't know. I, I don't even think about that. If something come along and took that away, I didn't have nothing where it started. And so it would not be. You see, anything I've got, and I'm not boasting, I'm just thanking God that I, He's given me that kind of attitude about earthly things. Remember the saying? If it won't matter a hundred years from now, it shouldn't make a lot of difference now. And that's the way to live your life. Paul said, I've learned to be content. Where did he learn it from? He learned it from God. That don't come from the flesh. It comes from Almighty God. And so that's the, that's the issue related to that. So he was unable to count the cost. And uh, so this was a problem that he had. Now, I need to tell you what the one thing is. And I'm going to tell you what the one thing is for this young man. Now I want you to listen carefully. Had it not changed, and I believe it did, I'll share this with you. I don't have time. I may share it tonight, so see if you don't come to church on Sunday night, you might miss this. <laughs> but anyway, just kidding with you. Well, maybe I'm not. I don't know if the Lord impresses on me to do it, I'll do it. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to tell you what the one thing here is with six words. Just six words. Here's what the six words are. Jesus spoke them. Then I'll give you the context from Matthew chapter 6. Here's the six words. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is material wealth. Jesus said that. Was that what he was saying to this rich young ruler? Absolutely. He knew what was in his heart. He knew what great wealth he had. He knew that it controlled him. He didn't control it. He knew that. And he was telling this rich young ruler, you can't serve me because you cannot serve God and material wealth. Let me read a few verses from this as we come to the end of the message. In verse 19, Jesus says this, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. And you could, you could put anything in there. It wouldn't have to be moth or rust. I'm sure nobody's concerned this morning about moth destroying your earthly wealth. I'm sure you, unless you... Maybe got it somewhere where a pack of moths live or whatever. I don't know whether they eat cash or not. I just really don't know. But that's what Jesus said. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through to steal. Listen to this. For... Where the treasure is, there the heart will be also. 
We know it's true. We know it from experience. And then he says this in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. And this is where he said it, you cannot serve God and mammon. What Jesus was saying to this young man, you can't follow me with the attitudes you've got about earthly wealth. You cannot be my disciple. And like I said, and I'll share with you why I really believe, what, what I believe is that this young man was Joseph of Arimathea. Let me give you a couple of Scripture passages real quick where he's mentioned. Matthew chapter 27. And I'll read 57 through 60. 57 through 60. Listen to what it says. Now this is after Jesus was crucified. And when the even was come, there came a rich man. Well, that was just like this rich young ruler of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. (laughs) I believe he got that problem fixed. I believe that's why Jesus said it to him. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean white linen and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. When I was in Israel, I was taken to this tomb that was hewn out of the rock, that they believed that was the very tomb where Jesus lay. And a sign up over it said, what the Scripture says, He is not here, He is risen. And He rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. In the book of Luke, in chapter 23, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, and let me read verse 44, beginning of 44, through verse 54. And it was about the sixth hour, when there was darkness all over the whole earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into thine hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw it, what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together uh, to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding those things. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. Now that means he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was... All the same descriptions of the rich young ruler are found here. And he was a good man and a just. Why, preacher, that sounds just like him. It sure does, doesn't it? And the same had not contented to the council uh, and, and the deeds of them. And he was a Armathia, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. And this man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus and took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, 
wherein never a man before was laid. And that day was a preparation and the Sabbath drew on. You see why I believe that? Because the Bible said that He loved Him. Everybody that's saved this morning, you were loved first. You were loved and loved for all eternity. And therefore with loving kindness you were drawn to the Savior. Praise His holy name. Father, we praise You and thank You this morning for calling our attention to this one thing that this young man lacked. And also, Father, for teaching us today that there are things that keep us from ever being a disciple. We may make professions of our faith. We may be baptized in every hole of water in the country, members of every church, but die and leave this world without Jesus if we're not truly saved. Thank you, Father, for the Scripture this morning. Thank you for showing us what this one thing was. And I pray you'd bless us as we sing this closing number. If there are commitments that need to be made, Father, that you'd bring it about according to your will. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.